76ers. That's a bucket. WENJ, WENJ HD, Millville, Atlantic City. 97.3 ESPN. 97.3 ESPN presents the Sports Bash with Mike Gill. It's time for Football at Four with Jeff Mosier. Powered by InsideTheBirds.com. We expect to win every time we step on the field. You know, that's just the mindset that we have. Now, live from inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, it's Football at Four. Football at Four powered by the Inside the Birds podcast here on 97.3 ESPN. Josh Hedding holding the fourth down for Mike Gill for the rest of the show. Hunter Birdie is still here, though. Football at Four, 97.3 ESPN brought to you by PlaySugarHouse.com. Jeff Mosher joins us for a Mosher Monday each and every Monday. And, bros, we got a lot to talk about with Mosher today because it feels like the Eagles are one day on the grass and the whole world is falling down around them. Jeff Mosher joins us like all guests on the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. Jeff, happy Monday. Happy Monday to you. How's everybody doing? I think we're doing well overall. I mean, we're obviously a little bit better than the Eagles are feeling right now because it seems like all of a sudden, you guys dropped this great Inside the Birds pod this morning. I'm getting all this great information on my drive-in to work today. And then I get to work, and then it's like, oh, yeah, by the way, we got upper and lower body injuries. Like, first of all, when did football become hockey with the injury update? Yeah, isn't that uh, a beautiful out that the Eagles are now taking with limited media there and these injuries already occurring before the media was there? They don't have to be specific but obviously some of the names that were involved are going to raise some eyebrows specifically on the defensive line which you know year after year seems to be hit hard with injuries you have Javon Hargrave uh, the newcomer who's diagnosed with an upper body injury and um, Derek Barnett I believe it was diagnosed as a lower body injury Uh, I will have more on that uh, as we gather some info I can tell you this about the Javon Hargrave injury. Uh, I've been told that the Eagles feel in a sense that they've dodged a bullet, that they thought the injury could have been worse, but it, they are at least satisfied that it's only going to be a few weeks. And remember, they're being very precautious here with players like him. They're not going to rush him back on the field because they need him healthy for the season. So as bad as it sounds by being called a uh, an injury for that that's week to week, uh, they felt that it could have been worse. So that is the silver lining. Yeah, for the circumstances, that's definitely a positive to hear. But uh, Gil and I were trying to figure out, did this happen in practice today? Because it seemed like the reports came out before practice even started. Right. It did not happen in practice today. I know that. It happened um, uh, sometime in the last uh, you know few days. Uh, it was not anything that transpired on the field today. He was already hurt. But they're not actually practicing, correct? So this wasn't anything that happened on the field. Oh, well, it, that's not necessarily true. I mean, they on Friday, they phase two started last week, right? And so part of phase two, the end and phase three started today. They're in pads today. So at the end of phase two, there was a Sunday and a Friday workout. Saturday was day off. And Friday and Sunday were 11-on-11s 11 and 7-on-7s. Seven they okay. were in shorts and shells. They were not in pads. Right, right. But they were still able to do OTA style or early training camp style of preparation on the field and practice on the field. Okay, yep. We were just trying to figure out exactly, you know, how did this happen if they're now being in pads and all of that nature. 
Mm-hmm. So, yeah, no, I mean, there, there's, and, and just like uh, we reported on Inside the Birds, I had it, um, I think on our last one, uh, the one before that dropped this morning, you know, Andre Dillard, you may have read about being in and out of the lineup today, which he was. He was in and out of left tackle first string today because he was nursing a little bit of a knee tweak that he was having to dealt with. Not, nothing major, but again, that happened again before today as well. To stay on the defensive side, I know that with Barnett not playing, Vinnie Curry and some other guys who were getting those extra reps, do you think the way that they kind of alternated who was going to be in and not be in with the injuries tells us a lot about what they would do in the regular season if the same guys were out? Uh, Yes and no. I mean, on the offensive line, you had Jason Peters out today for a lot of it, and then taking his place was Matt Pryor. I think that that's that's normal, and that's that's what you would expect. And left tackle, when Dillard wasn't playing, they put Jordan Maialata at left tackle. Now, would that happen during the middle in the middle of the season if Andre Dillard were to get hurt, or would they move Jason Peters back to left tackle and put Matt Pryor at right guard? I just don't know the answers to that. I know they like consistency, and so if Jason Peters has been playing right guard for five straight weeks during the season and then Dillard gets hurt, maybe they do put Matt Pryor at left tackle. Um, on defensive side, I think probably more accurate, right, because without Javon Hargrave, they went to Malik Jackson. Um, who is a starter before he got here anyway. So I think, you know, Malik Jackson and Fletcher Cox is normal. And I, I and look, the Vinnie Curry signing now to me makes a whole lot of sense because as we talked about last week, although they have so many names of potential candidates at defensive end to make the team, they don't have someone who you would really regard as a first down rundown starter type of defensive end. And so without Derek Barnett in the lineup right now, Vinny slides in there. If Vinny was not on the team, I mean, who are you talking about now? Sharif Miller or Josh Sweat? Neither of those guys, I believe the team thinks right now is ready to be a starter. They're more situational pass rushers. Same thing with Jannard Avery or Joe Osman or Casey Tuhill or anybody that they've got playing that defensive end position. The only one that has a proven track record of being, a, being able to hold up and play all four downs if necessary is Vinny Curry. Jeff, you mentioned Jason Peters. Doug Peterson did address at his presser about them managing Peters' workload. And he said, look, you know, he's in, you can't give everybody 100% of the reps. They can't do that. But he does believe that, all things considered, they can give him enough reps to be comfortable, he uses the word, for the first week game against Washington. Yeah, and I think they're they're going to be smart about how they get him his reps and also how they get him his rest. So, for example, um, they had, like I mentioned, two uh, practices that involved seven-on-sevens and 11-on-elevens, one on Friday, one on Sunday. I believe Jason Peters was a part of one of them. I don't know if he was part of both. I know Adam said in the podcast this morning that he was not uh, – he was coming – he was at not a full – in one of those uh, practices. So um, today is a day that they just start phase three. They're just in pads. So it's not surprising to me that today they back off Jason a little bit. And it wouldn't shock me if he was back in tomorrow for a stretch of days. They're, they're going to find the, t- the time to get off days. Because you have to remember, without preseason games, there are not as many off days built into the schedule. It used to be that you got a day off before a preseason game and a day off after a preseason game. So that's eight right there. And, you know, to be honest, Jason Peters hasn't always played in every single preseason game. So there were plenty of training camps last few years where Jason was getting three days off a week for four straight weeks. 
uh, that's not going to be the case anymore. So they have to make sure that they balance his reps with his rest. You mentioned phase two. Did anyone perform very well out there to maybe raise some eyebrows? Yeah, you know, Doug mentioned a couple of guys today. And one guy that I heard two different sources tell me about uh, that they, they were pleasantly uh, happy with. And I, wouldn't, I won't say surprised because they, they expected a little bit of a jump. But linebacker uh, TJ Edwards, who was already a success story by making the team last year as a rookie free agent. And then by the end of the year, he's starting. You know, he comes from Wisconsin. He's a true downhill Big Ten style linebacker, plays the run well. He did a nice job, Hunter, last year of shedding some weight to at least be a little bit more fluid on an NFL field and run a little bit more, but he was still mostly used against the run only. And I'm told that he's running even better now than he did at the end of last year, and he's in the mix to be a nickel linebacker. Of course, right now it's going to be Nate Gary and and Duke Riley now that Jadavis Brown has hung it up. Those are your more athletic run-around type linebackers, but whereas maybe a week or two ago I thought that that would be your nickel and you'd only see TJ Edwards on first down or second and, and run. Um, now Edwards is giving himself an opportunity to compete for sl- uh, spots in that nickel package. Jeff Mosher joining us football and forward powered by the inside of the birds podcast drops every Monday and Thursday morning. Of course you can follow Jeff on Twitter at Jeff Mosher NFL for all your Eagles and NFL coverage football for here on 97.3 ESPN. Jeff just going to elaborate more on the linebacker. So from what we understand right now, we've talked about linebacker a few times because especially with Jatavius Brown's sudden retirement, I'm assuming based on what you and Adam have talked about is it's Nate Gary, it's TJ Edwards, it's Duke Riley, but what is it after those three guys? Yeah, I mean, I know a lot of people would like to hear that Davion Taylor, the third-round pick from Colorado who has all this you know, tremendous athleticism is, you know, next in line if somebody were to get hurt. But as, as we've been talking about for quite a while on Inside the Birds, he's just too raw. He has a project. He has a guy that they hope really fulfills the, the, the projection that they have for him two or three years down the road and is just making plays all over the field, especially in this passing league. But right now he's just not ready. He did not play a lot of stack linebacker at college. So um, just getting a, into the you know line of scrimmage and stopping the run is not exactly – his forte. And um, so if you're really looking at the backups, you're looking at Alex Singleton, who was a guy who last year was on the team and played a lot of special teams. Um, he was uh, a really good player in the CFL. I think he was defensive player of the year, if not twice, definitely once before the Eagles signed him. You know, um, they had him last year and uh, he played on special teams. And now this year he's got an opportunity to, to get on the field if he can continue to improve. And after him, you're talking about a rookie, but not Davion Taylor. You're talking about Sean Bradley. He's one of those guys that I heard has impressed the coaches. They like his quickness. I'm sorry. They like his his instincts, his, his um, feel for the game. I mean, he's played the linebacker position at Temple and, and has done it really well at a high level. So he's not the greatest athlete in the world, but he clings to the playbook a lot quicker. Uh, concepts come easier to him and probably – if they had to play a guy on defense, and you hope that you're not reaching that far down um, too early in the season, I think a guy like him, like Sean Bradley or Alex Singleton, would get a nod before Davion Taylor would. Um, and then we'll have to see how they're, the kid that they signed, um, uh, uh, Olsen, Dante Olsen, does. He's you know he's got a, a big bridge to gap being a rookie free agent who just hasn't 
um, you know, gotten a lot of reps because of, of this season. What about developments at wide receiver? Now, J.J. Ortega-Whiteside is day-to-day. How much will that impact him? I know we're all kind of waiting to see what type of season he's going to have this year. I bet that just made your day, Hunter, when you heard that J.J. Ortega-Whiteside was already hurt, right? No, no, no. Why would I ever want any- <laughs> I would never want anybody injured. Come on. No, I, I don't mean that made your day. I just meant like it probably made your blood boil because I know you were not happy with how it was. Yes, uh, blood boil, no, different way. Happy. Yeah, yeah, different yeah. way to word it. Blood boil. I don't want to see anyone get injured. Of course, that that's what I should have. I'm, I'm sorry. I apologize to uh, anybody who thought I meant that you were rooting for him to get hurt. But no, yeah, that is that's. We'll have to see what that is. I don't know the severity. I do. I, you know, I can tell you that something that I had reported on the podcast inside the birds is that they had been lining him up interestingly in the slot a lot lately, which is not a position that you think that he would normally want to be excel at i mean he is your natural x he's a, a strong physical receiver who's supposed to be good at contested catches and fighting off that press coverage that you normally see across the x receiver and so the fact that he's in the slot and you know you kind of it kind of brings up images of a jordan matthews a guy who was uh, very successful as an atypical slot receiver as a big tall physical slot receiver um and we'll just say i don't know if this is something that they feel JJ will be good at or if it's just that they're ready to get more dynamic and explosive and they want Jalen Rager in that X spot because Rager has played already up in practice at that X position. Carson Wentz actually mentioned Jalen Rager said very complimentary of him. I know Doug Peterson talked about the chemistry between Greg Ward and Wentz as well. I know it's very early returns, but you know what are some of the things that you are gathering from what the Eagles are doing and what they're saying about how the wide receiver position will line up after Deshaun Jackson? Yeah, I mean, clearly Deshaun is, is at your Z, and every once in a while he'll move around. You may even see him in the slot a little bit because they like to do that, but he's, he's primarily your Z. And I think X right now is up for grabs with Jalen and with JJ. And we'll see what happens when Alshon comes back. You know, part of me thinks that they really do want to transition to being a more dynamic downfield team so that if Jalen Rager is really successful at the X uh, to start, it's going to be hard to knock him out of that position unless he goes through some some real rookie issues. And then slot is a good point. I mean, first of all, slot only happens when you're in three wide receiver formations. And as we know, the Eagles don't play as many three wide receiver formations because they're, which is their 11 personnel because they're in 12 personnel so much. And that's their two tight end formation. And there's no reason to think that with Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard, that they're going to play less two tight end formations. So I would say right now when they are in their 11 personnel, you're, you're looking at Greg Ward as the slot receiver, but certainly that can change. Let's say JJ Arthega or Whiteside you know, gets healthy, plays really well, and Jalen Rager is healthy and playing really well, well, then they may decide that they want, you know, one at X and one in the slot or be able to interchange both of them, and and that's fewer snaps for Greg Ward, who's, you know, was obviously very dependable last year for them down the stretch, but doesn't really have the traits of the other wide receivers as far as speed and athleticism. Keeping it with the offense, Miles Sanders, the hype is real for him. What should we be excited about when it comes to his role? Well, I think we should be excited about what Doug Peterson said today. And and Doug was asked if Miles can have more of a role in the passing game and not just kind of the, the, the running back who catches balls out of the flat, but can he line up in the slot and run routes like a receiver and catch the ball in those kind of formations and empty packages? And Doug said, yeah, that's, 
he goes, that's somebody that um, we already articulated is our guy going into the year, and we want to increase what he can do. And Doug said if that meant using him out of the backfield like that, then they want to see where he can grow in that regard. And Doug mentioned he thinks he's got the skill set to do it. And I think we saw it last year, you know, surprisingly, because he did not catch the ball a whole lot at Penn State. That was not something that you see a whole lot in the Penn State offense. Uh, Occasional dump off here and there. But if you remember pretty early in the season, the Lions game, the Vikings game, he was lined up and, and, you know, those HB go routes, catching balls 30, 40, 40 yards downfield uh, with the ball in the air. And so what they saw last year, I think, gave them the the confidence to say, we can do more with this guy in the passing game. And, hey, maybe he gets to that point where he's like Brian Westbrook, where he is just a matchup nightmare no matter where you put him, in the backfield, in the slot, wherever you put the ball in his hands, he's going to be a matchup nightmare. And and really to capitalize that, um, but I don't want to – I want to add this now before I forget something that we talked about on the podcast. I have heard – some really good things about the impact Rich Scangarello is having, the coach that they brought in, uh, is having on the offense. Remember, he is a he was the offensive coordinator for the Broncos last year, but before that, he was coming up through the Kyle Shanahan system. And I know Mike Gill always raves about the 49ers offense and how, mu- how it looks like they have so much speed when it's really that they have so many guys who are open in space because of misdirection that they do and the way they use their offensive line and pulling and trapping. And that's something I think we're going to see with the Eagles offense more of, and that should help guys like Miles Sanders and Zach Ertz to be able to get the ball and and Jalen Rager in space. Do you think that the way that they're utilizing Miles Sanders right now and adding them in the slot and things of, of that nature will impact the way that they use Boston Scott at all? Maybe it opens up their mind to say, oh, maybe we can do some exciting things with him as well. It might, Hunter, but I don't think – I think some people view Boston Scott as like a Miles Sanders clone, and I know some people have said he's kind of like Darren Sproles so in how he catches the ball. I feel like he is in his elusiveness – but he's not. He doesn't have the same kind of jet motor that Miles Sanders had. That that ability to just explode off the catch. But he is herky jerky, and he obviously was a, a weapon for them last year. I think he can be someone that they use more in gadgetry. You know, jet motion, jet sweeps, things like that. I do believe that they want to get him involved as an offensive weapon a little more. I just don't know if you're going to see him use the same way Miles is. I don't know if he's going to line up in the slot and run, you know, uh, uh, routes across the middle of the field and catch the ball over his shoulder and things like that. I think he's better when you get the ball in his hand quickly in space on the screens, dump offs and, and the little gadgets. Jeff, as I think about some of the things that you and Adam have talked about on the inside the birds podcast, which drops every Monday and Thursday in the morning, one thing you guys have brought up is about the role of Rick Scangarello in how the offense is evolving. And as we're talking about Miles Sanders, I'm thinking about the fact that Scangarello comes from that Shanahan background. And what is one of the traits of the Shanahan background is get as many offensive weapons on the field as possible. Something like Andy Reid has done as well in the past. And now you draft Jalen Hurts. You draft Jalen Rager. You have all these plans for the different roles they can have. And with Miles Sanders... You know, how much of an impact will all these guys getting up to speed have on what they put these guys out on the field? Because we know that Scangarello was bringing in these new concepts. Yeah, and um, I think the the one thing that I feel like I, I'm hearing consistently is that the offense has looked good so far because of those concepts. Now, again, I don't want everybody like, you know, 
Eagles Super Bowl, we're, we're talking about training camp. We're talking about a, a more like an OTA-style training camp so far. So I'm not trying to sit here and tell you the Eagles are going to score 40 points a game or just become San Francisco's offense overnight. But it's when, when, when people are noticing that there is a difference in how the Eagles – uh, execute some of their plays because of the the concepts that they're throwing in that to me says something it's noticeable and rich gongarello's name came up in in that kind of conversation so i think while doug tried harder to downplay the, the quote-unquote changes in the offense i think it'll be pretty noticeable to eagles fans um as soon as you know you, you get to see them on tv which will be week one obviously against washington but um yeah and i think Again, the guys who function in space, just like when you watch the San Francisco offense and you saw how Debo Samuel was used as a receiver, but also a ball carrier. I mean, you can kind of imagine that kind of role for Jalen Rager this year. And uh, obviously you see how good George Kittle is, but he's he also gets the ball in space a lot. And so you can imagine Zach Ertz having a little bit more of an opportunity to catch the ball with not everybody around him like he is all the time. Um, and, and then you'll see how – that is all set up by their blocking schemes and their misdirections and motions that throw the defense off. We would be remiss, Jeff. We didn't mention the quarterback, Carson Wentz, who also spoke to the media. One thing that stood out to me is he confirmed to the media that he's weighing in right now at 250 pounds. And in contrast, when he was drafted at the NFL Combine, he weighed in about 237. So, what do you think the addition of that weight on the Wentz's frame means for the quarterback in 2020? I mean, I don't want to put too much into it because, you know, last year I remember he reported and uh, we made a big deal about how he reported a little bit thinner and leaner and more, you know, maybe agile to, to get away from the pass rush and everything like that. And that was seen as a good thing. And it was because he played 16 games last year. I, I think people focus so much on, the concussion that he sustained through no fault of his own uh, against Seattle and kind of used that as, a, oh, he never stays healthy. He played 16 games last year. He did stay healthy with that body frame. Uh, and he played, you know, fairly well. He obviously had a little midseason slump there, but then snapped out of it at the right time. So I'm, I'm not sure if being 250 now is going to – I don't know that it's any better. I don't know that it's any worse, to be honest with you. It's, it's certainly not something that's going to prevent – uh, a concussion if he gets hit the same way that Jadavian Clowney hit him. So, I mean, the, the the coaches and the players seem to think it's cool. They said he looks strong. He's uh, he's being a leader out there. He looks physically fit. Somebody joked about it being his new dad bod. And if that's the case, you know, I, I've got two kids. I don't know why I don't look 250 pounds. <laughs> <and chiseled>, but, <laughs> but I never make a big deal about it. I, you know, I think Carson plays that he's athletic. He's agile. He's his athleticism doesn't seem to leave him, whether he's the taller or the, the thinner, leaner version or the 250 pound version. He's Jeff Mosher, football and four power by the Inside the Birds podcast. It's live right now. You can go check it out. It drops every Monday and Thursday morning. Jeff Mosher, Adam Kaplan. Follow Jeff on Twitter at Jeff Mosher NFL for all your Eagles coverage. And as Gold guest, he appeared today on the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. Jeff, great stuff. Appreciate it. All right, man. Thanks, guys. Have a great day. Football at 4 here on 97.3 ESPN was brought to you by PlaySugarHouse.com. Sign up now and they'll match your first deposit up to $250. Go to PlaySugarHouse.com and win real money with their sports book along with casino games from the comfort of your home. Must be 20 winner order to play. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Um, I don't think a dad bot is something that you're too familiar with, are you, uh, Hunter? 
Well, the dad bod is a it's something that people do enjoy. There are people that prefer the dad bod over the non-dad bod. Well, I'm just saying because you don't have kids. So. Oh, whoa, whoa. I thought you meant just in general. I mean, you can have a dad bod without any children. Right, but I feel like it's more of a connotation of you're in the shape you are because you're so busy chasing your kids and going to work that you don't have time for anything else. Is kind of the implication of it. Okay. Well, I know I had some teammates who had dad bods, and it's like, hey, how do you have a dad bod? I mean, we skate every single day, and we have games all the time. You got a dad bod? How is that possible? Uh, probably nutrition. Well, yeah, the, the Bud Lights and the Coors Lights after every practice. Well, it's probably not just a couple of them. It's probably like, you know, 10 or 20 of them, you know? Touche. I'm not judging. I mean, I'm just saying, you know, there's different variables and genetics and all that kind of stuff, but... Listen, I think that it's interesting that Wentz was willing to confirm that he had gained the weight because he he clearly looks thicker. Oh, no doubt. There was that that obsession with that first time he walked in the Novacare complex, and you could see the difference in, in the tone of his biceps. Yeah, just looking at the arms, you were like, all right, this guy put in a little extra work. No doubt. By the way, did you see the picture of Deshaun Jackson putting on weight? Yes. Over at 97.3 ESPN.com. We have the pictures up right now. I'm not just that, but... He burned Darius Slay in practice. It's also a video of him giving guys leads, running the uh, 100 meters, and him catching up to them and beating them. You think you could beat Deshaun Jackson? Heck no. I told you I went on a jog this morning, getting back into some light jogs. Give me about two weeks. Get me back to speed. How about this? If you can beat me in a race, then I'll give you... Maybe a 10% chance. You think you could beat me in a race? If I had some time to oh, up yeah, to now, it. Now you need well, the well, time. You, well, you need obnoxious. two weeks. Give me two weeks. This How about obnoxious. that? You say you need two weeks? I'll take you in the octagon. I UFC definitely 253. Now. now that I'll, I'm a UFCsman. I can handle you there right I'll now. Stop it. I'll give you the old eye poke. <laughs> 609-403-0973, theplaysugarhouse.com, text board, ask Broads and Josh, Mike Gill, will be back in here tomorrow. So it's not ask Mike and Broads, it's ask Broads and Josh, 609-403-0973. Who are you taking in a race? Josh or Broads? Who are you taking in the octagon? Broads or Josh? Or if you want to talk Flyers, Sixers, Phillies, or Eagles, we got that too. 609 403 0973. It's Flyers Playoff Hockey tomorrow on 97.3 ESPN and the free mobile app with Tim Saunders and Steve Coates calling all the exciting play-by-play action. That'll do it. The Flyers hold on. Listen to Philadelphia Flyers Playoff Hockey on your radio home of the Flyers in South Jersey. The Flyers face the Montreal Canadiens in the NHL Playoff. Welcome back into the Sports Pass. Josh Hennick filling in for Mike Gill here on 97.3 ESPN. Of course, the PlaySugarHouse.com text board is open for you at 609-403-0973. Ask Broads and Josh. We didn't just get an answer to our question, impromptu question. We even got someone laying the odds. We have an odds maker, or at least a, a tempting odds maker. Uh, who would win in the 100-meter dash between Josh and Hunter? Josh is minus 230. Hunter is plus 195. Well, now, if you want to make money, I'll tell you, easy money, easy lock, me. You get me at plus 195? Are you serious? So, 
this is my only question to this person. And I, I haven't punched this number into my phone to see if I know this person or not. But I am curious. Is this text out of information or out of, like, rib rubbing? Like, for example, this is a buddy of yours that's like, I'm just going to poke Hunter a little bit. Or is this someone who knows me who says, I've seen Josh at the gym. I'm assuming he's faster than Hunter because I know Josh. You know what I mean? I think it's just the texter of the show who came up with his own ideas in his head and his own thoughts about who would be faster, and he came up with these odds. And these odds are ridiculous, and you are essentially getting free money by betting me at 195. Now, why do you assume that you're faster than me? I just think that I can get the job done. That's all. I'm not knocking your speed by any means. I just believe that with where I'm at, that I would be able to execute this race. Now, I can confirm, I looked this number up on my phone. It is not someone I know. Yeah, I don't think, I think it's a, just a texter. It's so, a fan of the show. I'm I'm just curious where, you know, you know I, I like to know what goes on in the minds of people sometimes. There's always something behind what's going on in the mind. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. That's why we got some great questions. I always wonder when people ask these questions. Where did they come up with this? Where did they come up with it? <laughs> Although some of these make sense, and I understand, like Michael's. Simple. Simple question. You taking the Sixers or the Celtics tonight? Uh, you know, that's funny. I'm going to lean Sixers for this reason. So, I also think, like most of you guys, this is going to be a 6-7 game series. I think the Sixers come out with something that the Celtics maybe not expect kind of thing. You know, this whole rumor like Batiste Thiebel might start tonight. Yeah, that could throw off Boston's plans a little bit. Like I said, I watched the Rockets game on Friday night, and I said on Sports Bash Saturday that I thought that what they did against the Rockets is something that they can replicate against the Celtics, which is basically turn to one guy, in this case James Harden, and be like, James, you're going to score. We don't care. You're going to do you. You're James Harden. But we're going to stop everybody else, and we're going to out-rebound you. They almost doubled the rebounding output in that game. It's so hard for me, though, to look at that Rockets game because it was the last game of the bubble and everyone knew the seedings. While I understand where you're coming from, it's hard for me to look at anything that any team did in those last two games of their own respected schedule and think that it relates to anything that's going to happen in the postseason. You know? Just because at that point, they knew they were playing Boston. They knew the starters weren't going to be playing much. It turns into a bench game. It's just hard to really grasp what they did there and then relate that to what's going to happen in slowed down pace of of a game. But I I get your theory. Like, your theory makes sense of let one guy get points, do whatever. If you shut down everyone else, you should be able to get the job done. It seems like we're hearing Boston might do that with Embiid. And that's interesting because that might bite them come back and bite them because you know who's been the best sixer in these games that they returned hasn't been in beat overall it's actually been Tobias Harris he's been aggressive and he's been getting to the free throw line he needs to continue to do that if they let Tobias Harris beat them he may as well just beat them because Tobias has looked more focused than any sixer since the return that's no offense to any of the other players but he's got a look in his eye he's got that he's got a look of I had an off-season of maturity, and I'm focused. And for all the people who are like, why'd you pay this guy? Why'd you give this guy money? Blah, blah, blah. Well, now you know why. Because now there's no Ben Simmons. Who's the focused guy? Who's the guy who's played every game since they came back? It's the guy who's getting 
got a, he, $185 million or $180 million or whatever it was last summer. I tend to agree with you that the Sixers could do it tonight. Now, I'm not optimistic about this team. I think they lose in six, but they could throw a curveball at them early in the series where I think the Celtics might thrive is making adjustments, and because they have more versatility on the wings, they can maybe utilize that down the road in this series to make the matchups differently and more in their favor. But in terms of game one, and because of the fact that, look, these teams, these the, the league and the way that people are viewing these teams, it seems like the Sixers are getting disrespected. And to be fair, I'm, I'm one of them, right? Like, I'm disrespecting them to a degree. But maybe they utilize that to give them some juice. Like, hey, look, these people are counting us out. We still have a deep roster. Maybe they use that. Is it disrespect or is it the fact that, like a lot of people, you're so frustrated and disappointed with this team that there's a level of you've been let down at times, so you're almost preparing yourself to be let down again? That might be it. But also, is it fair to say, is it disrespectful if I say, hey, you go six games with the Celtics when you're down Ben Simmons. The more and more I think about it, is that really being disrespectful or is that being kind of real on what might be realistic? It might be either one. By the way, the PlaySugarHouse.com text board, this guy texted back. I like his answer. Oh, jeez. What do we got? So on the PlaySugarHouse.com text board, 609-403-0973, the guy who texted in with the odds says, I don't know either one of you in person. And then he gives you the ha-ha-ha. He says, this is based on the little bits and pieces I picked up listening to you guys over time. It was meant to be a joke, but the type of joke that has some truth deep down behind it. See, I would have liked if he texted back in and said that he went in, on our, went in to our Instagram pages and maybe timed some of the stuff. Like, oh, Broads, I saw you skating from blue line to blue line in about... 0.5 seconds, and I utilized that knowledge to get my speed right, and then I saw a video of Josh working out at one of the local gyms, and I saw him running, and I used that time to come up with my odds. I would have maybe enjoyed that text a little bit more. Well, I like this because this shows a very investigative side of this texter. Not and, investigative enough, though. And I, I think I could have a beer with this gentleman and go out and watch a game because I feel like you maybe uh, give me some good feedback. You know what? I want you to drink that beer. That'll slow you down for when I race you. And you won't just have one. You'll probably have five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and then go into the Jameson late night. You know what? You go out with this texter, and I'll make sure I'm training. How about that? I'm not really a Jameson guy, but sure. Okay. Tom texted. Can Carter Hart really carry this team? Absolutely. We've seen goalies carry numerous teams over the years. I mean, uh, Jonathan Quick of the Kings. Uh, oh, I got it. Thomas from the Bruins. Can't forget Tim about him. Tim Thomas. That's right. That you know, Tim Thomas run. Okay. There's tons of dudes, goaltenders. I mean, how many times did Martin Brodeur carry some devil teams that forgot how to score at times? It's just concerning because, and, and I'll tie this into the other uh, another Flyers question we got from Kyle. What is wrong with the Flyers right now? Because I think it goes hand in hand. Carter Hart playing so well, and what is wrong with the Flyers? I think this whole thing could be tied together with what happened over the first three games. And this team is young, they're fast, they're playing carefree, this, this Canadian squad. And... I just wonder if they are causing the Flyers this much trouble. Because one of the reasons why the Flyers are playing this poorly is because 
the way the, the Canadians are getting in on the forecheck and the way that they are using their speed to make the Flyers uncomfortable, that's why this is happening. If the Flyers are having this much trouble here, how deep can they go? Well, here's the thing. You look around the NHL and look at all the teams that are having trouble right now. You know, the Capitals, for example, the Blues before last night. You know, there's a lot of teams that they're having trouble because I think that they miscalculated the speed of their opponents. When I'm watching that Blues-Vancouver games, I feel like there are times that they don't realize how fast Hughes and Pedersen are, for example. Or I'm watching the Capitals series, and I feel like the Islanders are just flying by them at times. They don't know what to do. The teams that make the adjustments to getting punched in the face, right? What's the old saying, you know? Big guys beat up on little guys? Not that From one. Billy Schwime? No. It's the, <laughs> it's the idea of all the planning gets thrown out the window, you get punched in the face, then you realize you're in a real fight. You know, I think the Flyers got punched in the face. They realize they're in a real fight in game two. And last night, I'm watching them and I'm saying they're they're better than they were in game two, but they're still don't they still feel like a fighter. You know, you've watched AF UFC fights. You know the guy who gets tagged. Of course. And, I'm and, a UFC guy, Josh. And he gets tagged and he starts stumbling around. What does he do? He takes down the other guy to catch his bearings again. And the broadcasters say, Well, there goes so and so. He gets a takedown as he gets the cobwebs out of his head. Well, Corbier got hit pretty good. And when he went back to his corner, did you hear what he said? He went, Did I drop? Like, he didn't even remember if he dropped. That kind of scared me a bit. I'm thinking, this guy's conked he's going out there. But that's the Flyers. They got well, hit. Well, Cormier lost, so I hope that's not the Flyers. Okay, well, not literally, but the Flyers got hit, and they didn't realize what fully happened. And I think that's why Game 3 went out the way it did, because I think they were still kind of, you know, getting the cobwebs out, trying to figure out what just happened. Now, can I ask a question for Ask Bro to Josh? Of course you can. What were your thoughts of UFC 252? Now that I'm a big UFC guy, you know, I texted you. I said, I'm all in. I, I got the whole card down. I thought it was super entertaining. All the fights, very entertaining. What were your thoughts? So, first of all, I want to start with the news that just came out about an hour ago. Sean O'Malley does not have any breaks in his foot. Oh, that's ankle, good. But they are waiting for the swelling to go down to get an MRI. I'm not going to check. They just check the ankle. They're going to check his knee, too. Ooh. So, well, when you watch the replay, it was almost like his toes curled, right. and it was the the like the actual top of the foot that Bent. had the yeah that had the injury. Yeah. So for those who don't know, Sean O'Malley is super hyped bantamweight lost. In a huge now, are upset. you anti Sean O'Malley? I'm not anti, but I think that guys like him need to lose. I'm a big believer in MMA because nobody goes undefeated in MMA like Khabib Nagamenov, right? Everybody loses at some point. Losing is important in MMA because it allows you to refine your game and not, you know, get your head too blown up. But I think Sean, you know, I don't know how that fight would have gone if he didn't injure himself. But I do think there's a level of maybe he needed to lose. Like, for example, John Jones has a loss on his resume. Not because it's a legitimate loss, but because he got basically DQ'd loss because he was doing an illegal MMA move. And I don't think John fully understand what he was doing. But it allowed John to say, I need to get better at the the technical side of the game to be as great as I am. And now he's arguably, if not the greatest, one of the greatest of all time. But he needed that down moment. And I think every fighter in MMA needs a down moment. And I think this is for O'Malley to realize to him, maybe I need to do certain things a little better next time.
Yeah, I can't wait to watch him fight because I, I knew the hype was real with him and I was excited to actually watch him. And then when that all happened, it was a little bit underwhelming because there is a lot of noise surrounding his name and I wanted to see him um, to fight. But I thought all, all of it was great. You had the heavyweight fight before that where you had a knockout and Bob. I didn't see Rosen it coming. Strike, yeah. It was almost as if it was so strategic. He was just waiting for that he one was. punch and he delivered it yeah. big time. Rosenstrike's got that kickboxing background where he, he has that technical skill set. And I think JDS at this point, Junior Dos Santos, is just over the hill. I, th I don't think he has... He doesn't have the ability to pull the trigger like he used to. Now, with the main event, Stipe versus DC, I agree with you. Lived up the expectations. It was everything you wanted. I had originally picked Stipe to win the fight. And I think it played out kind of like I thought, not 100%. I thought it was interesting that Stipe was very, I don't want to say content. He was very, he was very okay with his strategy. That he wasn't going to put Cormier away. He was just going to work him the best he could for five rounds and get the decision. I thought there were times he could have capitalized a little better, and he didn't. I know DC shook him up a little bit. Maybe that kind of got him back on his heels a little bit mentally. But I think overall it was a great fight. I think Stipe now has an argument to be the greatest UFC fighter, a heavyweight in MMA, in UFC history at least. And I think that Cormier still goes down as one of the legends of the game because he was the first double champ, at least in the modern era. Now, DC, it seems like, is going to retire. At least he He's already announced it. Okay, he did. He did. Okay, so he, he did announce it. He did a whole Twitter thing. Now, if he won and then retired, what happens to the belt? Like, if Stipe yeah. retires, what happens to the belt? Uh, well, what happens is what they are doing right now at 135. Remember recently, Peter Yan faced Jose Aldo. Henry Cejudo retired, and they just had a vacant match. Okay, so one versus two in that weight class, then fight for the belt? Typically, yeah. Okay, some so some situation like that. So it probably would have been something like, like if Cormier won then retired, it would have been like Stipe versus like Francis Ngannou or something like that. Which is a fight that's actually very controversial right now because the first time Stipe and Francis fought, it was the boring, most boring fight of the century. And so people were like, do we really want to see these guys fight again, even though Engano is definitely the number one contender, which is where, if you were watching last night, who was tweeting up a storm all on his Instagram? It was John Jones losing his mind. Oh, they were all storm. tweeting. I saw Paris Hilton chime in. I'm she thinking, doesn't is, count. Is Paris Hilton really watching these UFC fights, or is she just maybe hanging out with the Kardashians and it's on the background because everybody the has ladder. these events on Saturdays? The yeah. A Paris Hilton said, what if she was so engaged, like, get up! Get up with the right hook! Getting all pumped up into it. My reaction would have been she had money on the fight. Who do you think she went with? I have no idea. All right. She doesn't seem like she really knows that much. Well, I can't wait better. for UFC 253, Josh. It's in September. I'm looking up the date because I was so juiced up. I loved it. That would be Adesanya versus Costa, the airbender versus the uh, Brazilian gangster. Can't wait. You like those nicknames? Sure. I'm learning. You know, it takes time to learn all these guys. You seem like a guy who appreciates a good nickname. Of course. Broats, one of the best <laughs> nicknames I've ever heard, you know? PlaySugarHouse.com text board. Get to more of your texts next. 609-403-0973 to get on the conversation. 609-403-0973. PlaySugarHouse.com text board. We'll talk more Sixers versus Celtics. Coming up at 530, Kevin McCormick, 97.3. ESPN.com Sixers writer will join us. Josh Hennig filling for Mike Gill, along with Hunter Brody, 97.3 ESPN. The NBA Playoffs on ESPN Radio. Back to Doncic, open three angle right, buried it. 
It's a 14-0 run for the Mavericks. Luka Doncic and Kristaps Porzingis make their playoff debuts when the Dallas Mavericks go head-to-head against Kawhi Leonard and the Los Angeles Clippers. Hello. You had Mike for the first two hours, got me for the next two hours. Bro's still for the here for the full four hours. PlaySugarHouse.com. Text board is open, 609-403-0973. Uh, I got to give the texture credit. Two good questions. I'm going to start with the easy one first. Guys, what is the better drinking game? Beer pong or flip cup? I like flip cup with a solid team. I was always the anchor, he says. So we would play where if you when you play flip cup, whoever starts, like after one round, say we play a best of seven series. Say there's four people on each side. So game one, the first person would start. So then the anchor would be the fourth person. But game two in the series, the second person starts, which means the first person in line is now your anchor. So your anchor switches for every game, and someone else starts down the line for every game of the game seven. But Flip Cup's fun. I like both, but I'd rather play beer ball. Beer ball's fun. So there's, you have, it's two versus two. You got a ping pong ball. You chuck it at the beer can. If it hits the beer can, you chug your beer until that person go, goes and gets the ball and says stop by banging the ball on the table. Huh. So when you, you try and hit the can and let the ball fly in a certain direction, you need some open space. So sometimes the ball goes flying, especially if you're playing on concrete. The ping pong ball keeps going and going and, and going. Chasing down, it. And you're on one knee chugging. You got to finish the so beer. So what's the goal of the game? Finish they- your beer first. You want both. Okay. You want the two beers on your team. So you it's and a your little partner. opposite of beer pong. Right. Okay. Yes. You want to be finished your beer first. I would I would be fascinated to attempt this game. Yeah, it's very fun. Because I have a long history with beer pong. I like beer darts too. A little dangerous though. You got to watch out for your feet. Yeah, it's a little dangerous. Uh, it's no, fun, I'm I'm a, I'm a beer pong guy. I'm a big fan of the two team beer pong working together. You know, you get the right partner. You start running through everybody in the house. Three, you could do three t- three person per team, and it's called civil war. So it's beer pong. Each person has three cups, straight line, and it's three versus three. But we play a little hectic. We start tackling each other and throwing yeah, each other that, into the wall. Not, I'm talking about house parties where it's not just all dudes. Well, yeah, that's what I'm talking about, where it's not just all dudes. I'm talking about house parties where, like, it's you and, like, a female. You, like, end up, like, working together yeah. on the beer pong table. You run through about seven opponents and you exchange numbers. Okay. You can still play that game in that scenario. Just don't tackle her. For the ball. We'll get to the other question on the other side. He's Hunter Birdie. I'm Josh Hennig. Sports Bash 97.3 ESPN. It's Sixers Playoff Basketball tonight on 97.3 ESPN with the voice of the 76ers, Tom McGinnis, calling all the exciting play-by-play action. That's what he does. Big Al puts it in. Listen to Philadelphia 76ers Playoff Basketball. It's Sixers Celtics in the NBA Playoffs. Game one. Coverage begins at 6.30. On your radio home of the Sixers in South Jersey. Are you kidding me? 97.3 ESPN. The great thing about facts, they're proven. 